Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. the Raiders. Most of all, I love the win. You are now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Wynn, Deshaun Reed, ready to discuss the Raiders 2021 draft class. And of course, we talked to you guys on Friday after the first round selection of offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood. Um, we might get into him a little bit more, but let's get into the rest of the draft class and we can kind of go blow by blow, especially because I, I think the one pick that... Uh, you know, if you're a Raiders fan, if you're covering this team, if you're you're just observing around the league, the one pick that I, I don't think anybody is complaining about, you got to love the second round selection. They traded up and they were able to get Trayvon Merig, the safety out of TCU. Most people viewed him as the top safety in the draft coming in. He ended up being the third safety that went off the board. And maybe that's because of the news, the reports that uh, he suffered a back injury in training as Ian Rappaport poured cold water over everybody celebrating with that report right after the draft pick. But the Raiders and Merig both say that uh, no issues there. And assuming that that he is completely fine with the back getting their starting free safety and, and maybe the best guy in the position at the draft at number 43. Uh, you got to feel really good about that if you're the Raiders. Yeah, I think that was pretty clearly their, their best pick. We got to give a shout out to Vic because he he mocked it correctly. Kind of, you know, you had him getting Alex Leatherwood and, and Trayvon Morick, but he had the rounds flip. So shout out to Vic for, for nailing this one. But um, like you say, he's going to step in year one, start at free safety. I know Mayock is really hyping up Jeff Heath for some reason. But as long as that back thing isn't a big deal, he'll, he'll be out there. You know, it's a bit of an adjustment for him because he played in a, a system in college that had a lot of two high safety looks. And so transitioning to that one high center fielder role, you know, maybe that you should be able to figure that out throughout training camp. And he has a skill set to do it, so it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, if you watch him on tape, I think a lot of things jump out, like his instincts, his, you know, he got some playmaking ability. He looks like a true... A center fielder out there, kind of guy who has control of the whole area. So um, I think it's a very exciting pick for the Raiders. I think um, I know at the beginning of this whole offseason, we talked about how I thought they need to add maybe the two best players in defense in the offseason. And it's possible they've done that with Ngakwe and now with Morwick. So I think um, they feel a need, high upside. Uh, the back thing to me is a little bit concerning because I know they both said no big deal, but it's still alarming to me that two safeties were picked before him. So. Um, I'll wait until he comes to the first day of, of practice and he's there, a full participant, before I totally ignore that thing. But um, again, I think it was a great pick by the Raiders. It's a concerning because, to me, he was by far the top safety in the draft. I think even if there's some draft boards that differ a little bit, it's hard to see even a second safety. I just thought he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And for teams, to, a couple teams that needed safeties to pass up on him, especially when he fits their system so well, it was concerning, but obviously the Raiders said that their guys checked him out and he was totally fine. But I'm with Vic. I want to see him on a field and healthy. But if he's healthy, he's a total steal at that draft position. 
And I, I liked how Mayock navigated the draft and made the move to trade up to get him as well. Uh, but to, to Sean's point, he did not play a lot of center field. He played a lot of too high and not a regular too high. He played a lot of quarters too high. So he was playing a lot of man coverage on um, on number two receivers and um, and tight ends. But you can see the hip fluidity. You can see the range, the athleticism, took great angles. And he had really good ball skills too. He had 20 pass breakups in the last two years. So I think all those skills uh, translate well to um, a center fielder. So I think if he's healthy, he's going to be really good in that role. And the Raiders traded with the 49ers to to get him. Uh... Going with the the former Bay Area rivals, I guess maybe uh, not being Cross Bay, they can uh, make that kind of deal. But uh, that was interesting to see. Gave up a fourth round pick, and I know uh, Mayock for that for him that was uh, that was a little bit tough thing to do. But Tashawn, you wrote several times, kind of in, in the run up to the draft, that the, the Raiders aren't going to have room for eight nine rookies or whatever on this roster. So even though it might hurt to give up a fourth round pick, I mean to get a guy that you really truly need makes a lot of sense, uh, even if you have to sacrifice. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty low cost, you know, and you know, for what it's worth, they got a seventh round pick back in return for it that they ended up using on on Jimmy Morrissey. So like I said, especially if you're you're trading up for a guy that's a day one starter, instant impact player, you do that every time. And you know, they had they have two third round picks. They had even like the guys that they have now, we're not sure that that all all seven of these picks are gonna make the roster. Like Morrissey is it might be a long shot. You know, even Hobbs is gonna have to compete at that nickelback spot. Gillespie, you know, they have a ton of safeties now. So I just thought that they should have been, you know, pretty aggressive when it, when it came to being flexible, not just trading up, but trading down as well. And so I think they navigated the draft pretty well on that front. I probably would have traded down if I could and still took Alex Leatherwood. I know they said he didn't like the offer that they had there, but that's really my only critique for the entire draft. They were able to keep both of those third round picks. I know that was kind of one of those things. Well, like, all right, if you need to get into the top of the second round to grab your safety, you probably would need to give up one of those third rounders. And and they were able to wait and hold off and not have to move all the way up to the top of that third round because Malcolm Kuntz, a pick that I know if you look at Dane Brugler's big board, he had him number 200. There were some other opinions that had him a lot higher. What kind of upside are they getting with Kuntz? Looks like a guy that probably needs to add a little bit of bulk, but... um. You know, a guy that could potentially give them something as that situational pass rusher that they never really got from a guy like Arden Key. Yeah, I think strictly if, if that's what he does, strictly, you know, third down guy, then he can definitely have an impact. I, I believe one of the reasons uh, some of the draft grades were beforehand were so low, like you mentioned Danes have a 200, is because he can't play against the run. He can't play him in um, all situations in the NFL. He's, it's not going to work. He's just, just too raw and got overpowered too much in the running game for that to happen. So if he's strictly a pass rush guy, then you hope he can make an impact. Hopefully he can. Arden Key will get close. Arden just can finish. So hopefully this guy can finish and, and get some sacks for him uh, when they need it. When they need it. Forgive me for this, but I'm, I'm calling him Khalil Mack because he's like tiny. He's from Buffalo. He's super explosive. Call him Khalil really, Mack tiny. Wait, say it again. Ka- call him no Khalil. Like oh as my Ka- god. Jesus Christ. Wow. That is bad. <laughs> <Ooh>. But <laughs> I watched some tape of him. Really good movement skill, uh, skills. I love his hands. Really violent hands. And Mayock's right. He has a really big toolbox as far as the moves he's u- he uses. He, he uses a long arm. He has a chop and dip move, push, pull, spin move. He has a good inside counter. I didn't see the fake spin move yet, but I haven't watched a ton of his film. I love how he uses his outside arm. Uh, I think you need some coordination and balance to be able to use that. 
yeah, if you use him just as a situational pass rush, pass rusher, he can be good. I think he's pretty advanced as far as um, just the, the full toolbox he has. But it'll be interesting to see if he could hold up against NFL tackles because he is undersized, and there are some examples of him just getting overwhelmed on the, on the edge at times. I love the speed. I love the, the bendiness, and um, we'll see if it could translate as a, as a situational rusher. This is one of those times where I'm really wishing we were all in the same room together because I wish I could have seen just like how eager Ted was to drop that that Khalil Mack <laughs> record. I just I just wish we could have like been seeing like how how eager he was to jump in there with that. I feel like he was planning that from the the start of the pod. I did plan it. Not gonna lie, <laughs> that makes it worse. <laughs> <Someday. laughs> I wonder if he takes a, a red shirt year just because you know that weight thing that we mentioned. I know Yannick Ngakwe isn't the biggest guy ever, but he's a veteran. And they have a ton of defensive linemen. Of course, we keep talking about it. I don't think there's a ton of pressure on him to be ready year one. So maybe they have him take the year, bulk up, you know, adjust to the next level, figure some things out. And then maybe moving forward, you know, maybe Carl Nassib is gone next year or some other pieces move around and there's more of a, a role for him to get playing time. I don't know, man. Third round pick. I can't I can't redshirt a third round pick. I think you need you need I mean, we thought Max Crosby a couple years ago, right, was gonna need need that year to bulk up, and we saw what he did as a rookie. So I would think they would hope that they can get something out of him year one. I was gonna say we talked on Friday about how we you know the Raiders have this they reach a lot in the early rounds and the reason we question that so much is because there has been a great track record. There's definitely there's no benefit of the doubt. And I think with this pick, there is a little benefit of the doubt because they had gotten, you know, Max Crosby uh, in later rounds in his rookie year, and that was a good pick, I mean, a really good pick. So clearly Mayock and his staff have good instincts as far as finding late round pass not late round, but you know, mid to late round pass rushers. Jim Nagy, the director of the uh Senior Bowl did jump in my my comments and said that he posted a video of him and a bunch of teams messaged him and said, you know, jokingly, don't give this guy too much exposure because they like him a lot. And he said a bunch of teams had him as a top 100 player. So I don't know if that's just, you know, him protecting or hyping up his Senior Bowl guys. But, you know, it seemed like there were teams that liked him. All right. Well, at number 80, right after the Coons pick, uh, we got Alec England got to uh, didn't even have to leave the stage was able to make uh, both uh, of his picks right there. Divine Diablo, uh, a safety from Virginia Tech, but the Raiders see him as a, a will linebacker. We've seen this kind of move before with, with drafting a guy that's uh, a safety and, and kind of viewing him as a linebacker. We've seen it before in the third round um, just a year ago. Uh, what do we think of Diablo? Is, is this guy... Is he going to be a, a special teamed war daddy like uh, Tanner Muse, who isn't able to see the field in year one, or, or is he more for the Raiders? I don't know, but I know Tanner Muse had a rough, a rough time watching that. I'm sure. I mean, that can't be easier watching you than pick another uh, safety turn linebacker in, in the third round. So I think that doesn't speak well to his uh, his future here. But um, yeah, I think it's an interesting pick. I think you're obviously looking for like Mike said, Mayock, you're looking for big guys who can run and you kind of fit them in where you can after that. That's the way the league's going these days. So he can play a linebacker. Maybe he, at some point he's back in safety, but they like the combination that he brings is you know, the rare athletic ability. So uh, again, a third round. You're, I know Mike last year said you're trying to get future starters. We're also looking to get some guys who have just upside. And I think he's definitely an upside pick for them in around, in around three. Yeah, I think he'll be a, a more natural fit at linebacker just because of the role that they had him play at Virginia Tech. I mean, his last year, he was kind of more of a that hybrid star position that's becoming the wave now in college football where, you know, technically it's a linebacker, but they have a lot of safety responsibilities. And I like his size a little bit better than Tanner Reeves coming out. And so I don't know how much of an impact he'll have year one just because, you know, Littleton and, and Quit and 
Moreau are there, but you always need rotational linebackers, especially if, you know, Littleton has another year where he struggles, you know, depending on how bad he struggles, maybe, maybe Devon takes on a, a larger role. Gus Bradley did this a lot, or he, he was moving safeties to play linebacker roles when he was with the Chargers. He especially did this the year that they um, the Chargers played the Ravens in um, the playoffs, Lamar Jackson's um, rookie year. I think he had safeties played the linebacker position for a majority of snaps in that game. So he has experience doing this. And Diablo has a lot of versatility. Like they moved him to the second level and had him drop deep and a bunch of NFL teams are doing that or they had him deep and drop into or move down into the box. So I'm sure they like that versatility, like his ability to disguise defenses. So if he does turn out as a good player, he will kind of offer that ability to disguise defenses, which I think was attractive to the Raiders. Fourth round, uh, the Raiders uh, went to Tashan's uh, alma mater. Uh, another safety, a guy that uh, Mayox said didn't expect to be available, and that's why they were aggressive about going up there in the fourth round and grabbing him. Uh, Tyree Gillespie, uh, Tashan, what do you know about this guy? I mean, obviously you've, you've seen him play uh, for Missouri. We kind of got playing time surprisingly early on at Mizzou. They had an issue with one of their starting safeties was uh, had some off-the-field problems, and so – he got a chance to get in there early, and he never really let go of his hold on it. He played mostly free safety in college, but like when he was drafted, I think he's more of a, a box safety at the next level. I just don't know if he has, you know, the speed or or the range that you would like, especially to play, you know, center fielder, free safety. I think if you know the Raiders were still playing a too high look, then maybe he'd be a more natural fit there. But I think you know he probably best fits like a backup to to Abram and kind of a rotational safety. I was a little bit surprised that they took him, actually, you know, Mizzou ties aside, just because, you know, obviously they already took Morig and Diablo has that kind of safety versatility. So adding in another safety, it was kind of seemed like overload. But I guess, you know, you might as well give yourself multiple shots at it, especially if you got have a guy super high on your board. You know, maybe he outperforms, you know, somebody that was drafted earlier than him. You, just, you know, you just never know. So I think it was a pretty solid pick. I know we'll you know, most people had him rated lower than 143, but I think once you get into round four and later, I don't really, you know, get too tied up in, in reaches. I don't think, I don't know if that's a thing anymore once you get into those later rounds. I haven't watched a lot of film on this guy, but if he gets as many interceptions as Tashawn's old guy, Drew Lott, throws, then oh. <laughs> he picked off. I'm sure he picked off Drew Lott plenty of times in practice. So if he sees the field against the Broncos, that might be the guy to throw out there. Teddy Bridgewater, man. Teddy Bridgewater. They're going to get Aaron Rodgers or the Raiders are going to get Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? What do you think Jonathan Abrams take away from watching this draft is after seeing them you know, draft two guys that are definitely safeties, one guy that can play safety? I mean, certainly the Raiders go into this season wanting and hoping and expecting that Jonathan Abrams becomes the player that they drafted in the first round. But do you think part of this is, OK, let's put a little pressure on this guy that he's got to be able to perform up to expectations because now we might have some guys that, that give us some options if he doesn't play well? I'm not sure if it's pressure. I just think maybe it's you know, it's a backup plan. I think. Don't forget, they also uh, brought back Carl Joseph. They still have Jeff Heath, who's probably better at strong safety than free safety. Well, he definitely is. So all of a sudden, you have a crowded uh, roster at, at that spot. So uh, I think, like Max said, they're confident they're, slash hopeful that Abram has a, a nice bounce back here. He's working hard. But uh, clearly, there's definitely a backup plan in place, whereas if he has trouble... 
uh, still you know, in terms of assignments and, and pass coverage. I know the plan now is to have them play closer to the box, and that's great and all that. But you know, it's, it's a passing league, so we'll have a lot of passing responsibilities still. So if you can't handle that, then there's definitely uh, a backup and maybe two backup plans in, in place now. Yeah, and I think the thing with Abram, not only his, his struggles, but also just you know his lack of availability. You know, being hurt is pretty much his entire first year, and then even last year, you know, it seemed like he was dinged up almost every other week. So. You know, if he's injured and missing multiple games like he has so far in his career, they need a, a reliable alternative on the roster. You know, last year, you know, anytime he went down, they were basically screwed back there. So they're kind of covering themselves up just in case his injury issues persist as well. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. All right. And in the fifth round, the Raiders finally addressed cornerback. And this is a position that we kind of kept waiting around to see and still are waiting around to see if they might hit this in free agency. Obviously, Richard Sherman is a guy that they have had conversations with as a potential free agent that could come in as be a veteran presence and mentor for some of those young guys. As of right now, I mean, it, it's still a pretty young cornerback room. They add Nate Hobbs out of Illinois in the fifth round at pick 167. Certainly not a pick that's going to, you would think, uh, answer a whole lot of your questions at cornerback but uh, another guy to give them some depth there yeah to me it's just competition I mean, they have a bunch of guys already there like isaiah johnson and you know, Keyshawn nixon and meek robertson so there's a bunch of young cornerbacks already fighting for a roster spot now here's one more they like this toughness and that's the thing that they said and it's good reason they to pick a guy in the fifth round so um you know i think they probably will still maybe add another cornerback i know we talked about sherman and um Mac had no comment about that. Sherman said that the Raiders are one of four teams he's talked to. Then uh, there's a lot of talk I, I saw on Twitter yesterday about Casey Hayward, but nothing I've heard on that. It's like nothing new there. So uh, it's possible that you know Russell Douglas is the guy they brought in to be that veteran cornerback who plays a lot. So I'll have to wait and see. Hobbs is a big time athlete too. I know he's very raw, but you know when you have that type of athletic ability and, and toughness, you know I think they're just betting that they could develop that athletic ability into playable athlete or and if he can't play right away i think you know he offers some value in special teams yeah and it's kind of interesting they've taken you know in back-to-back years you know guys that are best at the nickel spot with with hobbs and, and amik robertson last year it's pretty crowded there at the nickel spot now between those two and, and nevin lawson and i know Keyshawn nixon can play the nickel as well a little bit so you know you wonder if this maybe has an impact on, on guys making the team or not they got to put as many guys out there and see if one of them can stick, right? It's, it's kind of got to be their approach there is, is try to, you know, create some competition. But all right, let's move on to the final pick of the draft. And, you know, Mayock, when he made that trade up with the 49ers, he said, you know, you probably you might not believe it, but getting a seventh round pick back for us was huge. They got pick number 230 back from the 49ers and they used it on center out of Pittsburgh, Jimmy Morrissey, who uh, who Mayock says is awesome. He loves him. Um, we kind of figured that they were feeling pretty set at center with uh, with Andre James, and then they brought in Nick Martin. I could see Morrissey coming in and maybe being a competition for Martin, and and you you could kind of look at him as a seventh rounder and say, all right, he's probably ticketed for the practice squad. But they can save some money, you know, if if they decide that he's better than Nick Martin as a backup option. I mean, Martin got two hundred fifty thousand in a signing bonus. That's all he has guaranteed, so they could save a million and a half uh, minus what you know the rookie minimum for Morrissey. So uh, maybe he he's able to push Nick Martin, and uh, if he's good enough, they can save a few bucks on their backup center. He's going to have to be really good to, to beat out Nick Martin, I think, you know, because Martin does offer a veteran with experience at the center position if James doesn't work out. Yeah, I see him more as a, a practice squad guy that can, um, 
that they, they're hoping to develop. I think he has just a long way to go to beat out Martin. I got a good chuckle out of when Max said uh, in our little uh, post-draft Zoom how they they love the, love the kid. He was like you know, a former walk-on. He won the award for the, the, the best former walk-on, whatever. And uh, how the senior bowl, I guess, called him on Friday. And he came up and played on Saturday. Played almost the whole game. Like, that was a big – I mean, most college players, you call them on Friday and say, <laughs> want to play in the senior bowl? Like, yeah, sure, I'll play. I don't, I don't understand why that's a big deal. But it's cute. It was a cute story. Do you want to have a better shot at getting drafted? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll make it to Mobile. Get, get me a flight. All right, well, let's uh, take some questions here. Uh, we didn't put out a call for questions because uh, we had some eager readers, listeners that uh, that were that got out ahead of us. So, uh, you know, don't worry. We're not going to do this all the time, but uh, we, we will generally put out calls for questions. But uh, we, we've got a lot of submissions here. So start with this one on Twitter from Eric Galvin. Is it fair to say this draft will be judged on the Raiders' first two picks? Leatherwood and Marig are expected to start right away. Everyone after that is depth slash gravy if they contribute even better. I mean, I think that's pretty fair, right? I mean, those are the two guys you drafted to fill needs. The hope is that you got to hit on that at least one of the other guys is somebody that two, three years down the road is still on this roster and doing something. But if Leatherwood and Marig are quality starters, then you consider this a, a good draft. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially with them taking Leatherwood higher than most thought they would and, you know, having some other tackles still on the board that they could have went with uh, instead. You know, I think it'll kind of be the comparison between Leatherwood and, and Darisaw or Tevin Jenkins or any of the other tackles that were, were taken kind of in that range. And so I think that's the case with most drafts. You know, the, the top one or two picks is, is what you judge most of the class off of. But like you were saying, you know, of course, you know, they want those those other guys they drafted have kind of at least develop into useful rotational players with some long-term upside. You know, even if they have guys already on the roster at those positions, which they do for, for pretty much all of those, you know, those guys obviously will be cheaper options since they're on the rookie deals. But there's definitely a developmental projection side to Leatherwood because he's a big-time athlete, but he was very inconsistent when you, you watch his film. You want him to be your day-one starter, but let's see how much Tom Cable can develop his technique and fundamentals in training camp to be a day one starter in an NFL. And with Morig, I think if he's healthy, he, he's your day one starter or he should be your day one starter. I, I do have, a, I think I'm higher on him than, than some people, but I believe Daniel Jeremiah even had him as his 12th ranked prospect in his, his big board and other guys. Yeah. They're, they're developmental guys, role player type of guys that, you know, if they can win a role, in the defense, I think that's a that's a win for the Raiders. You know, it's funny. I, our, our Chiefs writer Nate Taylor uh, did a big story uh, last week or so on the Chiefs' 2017 draft and how, outside of Patrick Mahomes, basically everybody else was a miss. You know what? Who gives a shit, right? You got Patrick Mahomes, and and you you've won a Super Bowl, been to two. So those top two guys are gonna be where the the draft is made. Um, obviously, whenever you hit big on a guy in a late round, you know you're, you're thrilled about that. But um, if you hit on the first couple, you're you're in pretty good shape. All right, question here from Harpy's Bazaar on Twitter. Uh, two questions. Uh, first off, do the Raiders have enough guards? So they've got the three guys, uh, John Simpson, Richie Incognito, Denzel Good, that are basically competing for those three spots. Do they have enough uh, w- with just those three guys? Kind of who do they have behind them? Um, I, I guess it might be a little thin after that, but... I think that's fine. You got, I assume Nick Martin will play some guard if, if need be. So I think you're I think you're set there. I think um I think well, so you got Lester Cotton. I think is still on the practice squad. He's still bouncing around. So Lester Cotton has some experience in the system. If you have to you know, break glass in case of emergency, but 
I think those three guys are, are pretty good, actually. Yeah, I guess, you know, the only worry might be, you know, Incognito, you know, missed pretty much all of last season. You know, he's, he's up there in age. So if he goes down again, maybe it'll be a little thin. But like you're saying, I think they're pretty much covered. You know, they do have injuries. They have other guys on the roster. They have positional versatility. And so I think they have enough guards. I know last, last year it seemed like they were adding a million guards uh, throughout the offseason. So I wouldn't rule it out necessarily, but I don't think they need one. All right, second part of this question. Uh, Vic wrote in one of his post-draft stories, uh, Gruden will tell you himself that he is hard to work with. What do you think Gruden thinks is hard about working with him? Probably a lot, right? I mean, I, I don't think Gruden, Gruden is not delusional enough to think that he's just some easy to get along with uh, guy. I mean, he's he's a little maniac. Yeah, he knows he's emotional. I mean, he definitely is aware that, um, like, like, an example, like, after one day's practice, you can come in and say, you know what, that guy is phenomenal. I love that guy. And then the next day, he tells the coach, I hate that guy. That guy is terrible. So I think that just guys, it's kind of, he realizes that. He's just kind of up and down. And I think he definitely wants to, obviously, he's feeling some pressure. He wants to win now. So he kind of uh, is demanding. I think he'll definitely, so I didn't mean like it was a, that bad of a thing. I just think it's, he's, um, it's a unique situation. He's the he's the guy. He's the coach. He calls the plays. He also calls the uh, all the moves in terms of personnel. So uh, I think there's a lot that goes on that he, he realizes is not your average NFL situation. And I mean, very few coaches, maybe not no other coaches in the NFL, have the kind of relationship that he has with the owner where i mean the owner spent years upon years pining after him i mean and it was like the greatest moment of mark davis's career when he was able to you know finally convince john gruden to come back so it's, i mean how many coaches have that where it's like the owner just views you as the guy that is that he has always wanted to lead his franchise well, his career was his life. I thought it was the best day of his life. He said. <laughs> I think he, probably his life. He, he yeah. gave him a, I gave him a hundred million dollars for a guy. Like, this is the best day of my life. I'm like, really? Wow. That's, He's uh, got no kids, so he, he doesn't have any kids to get mad at him for, <laughs> for, for, for claiming that. He's definitely all in with Gruden, and Gruden is. Um, I, Gruden hears the noise. I mean, he knows this is year four, and they've their best year is eight and eight. So I think um, it can be irritable sometimes. I think that's fair to say. I think he also would acknowledge that. So I mean, again. I just think it's a, it's a fascinating you know, circumstance which the Raiders work in, and I think he, he's well aware of, of all of the things that are uh, looked at and, and talked about. All right, question here from Insert Government Name. He asked you, Vic, how, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but how much leash do you think Abram has left after this year's draft? The leash is probably the same. I just think that uh, they got more dogs you know, backing up. They got more dogs in the kennel ready to, to emerge and, and take over uh, his spot. So... I think he'll be fine. I, I don't know. I, I guess his role will be much different, so we'll have to wait and see what Gus says about that. But the thing about him is definitely he wants to win. Definitely the energy is, is unmistakable. It, it brings to the team. He was kind of a leader even though he wasn't played that much. So I think um, if, if you tone his role down and give him the fit in certain things, I think he should be fine. You know, next offseason will be kind of where there does have to be some kind of a decision made on him. He'll be going into his fourth year. He'll We'll get that fit you now, and they have that decision really to make on that whole three-person class of uh, that that three first-round pick class of of Jacobs, Furl, and Abrams. And I mean, at this point, Jacobs is the only one you would expect for them to pick up that fifth-year option. So this is you know a somewhat important year for him to for really all those guys to kind of prove their worth, prove their value. They all become eligible to get an extension next year. I don't, you know, the Raiders would probably be smart to roll around with some fifth year options, especially on a guy like Jacobs, just to see how he holds up as a running back. But this is an important year for that, that class because uh, they've got to prove that they deserve to be long-term parts of this team. 
Yeah, I would agree that seems like Jacobs is the only guy from that class that, you know, you would want to give that that option to. But, you know, a lot can change in a year. You know, if Abram, you know, benefits from playing in this new system that allows him to play closer to the box and not have as many coverage responsibilities, you still still have a lot, of course. But, you know, if he just comes out and he's healthy this year and really kills it, then, you know, things will do a 180. So, but yeah, it's a crucial year. As far as Cleveland goes, we'll learn a lot quickly once we start the whole, you know, offseason workout mini camps. As far as what Gus's plans are for him, so they brought in a lot of D tackles. So I think the whole in the years past, the fallback was well, you can always move Clee inside, but they got a lot of guys inside now. So I'm not sure that's still really something they want to do, or if he'll be on the edge on, on pass rushing situations. So I think his role to me is one of the bigger question marks I have as far as what Gus Bradley's plans are uh, this season. Hey, if Vic gets credit for uh, for his mock of Marig and Leatherwood, but flipped, I, I want credit. I, I mocked uh, Clee Farrell to the uh, Raiders uh, just with the twenty fourth pick. Yeah, hey, we'll give it to you. There you go. Merry Christmas. How different would Farrell be viewed right now if he, you know, people would have killed them for taking Jacobs number four, just because oh, you know, people killed him for taking a running back in the first round, period. But they'd taken number four. But how different would Farrell be viewed right now if he was the number twenty four pick instead of the number four? I still don't think fans would be jumping for joy with the production they've got from him, but uh, I don't think the criticism would be nearly the same. I mean, he's a good player. You know, he's not, doesn't rack up the sacks. The kind of things that he's excelling at, you know, setting the edge, stopping the run, it doesn't really stand out for an edge guy. But yeah, definitely, I don't think he would be critiqued as as harshly. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not his fault that he got drafted number four overall. You know, he didn't, I'm sure he was happy with it, of course. You know, it's a nice bump in money, <laughs> but at this point, you know, I wonder if fans have kind of gotten over it just where he was drafted and they're just kind of hoping he, he turns into a good player. Like, there's no redoing it. You can't go back in time. So, like, there's really no use harping over it. It's kind of like Joe Smith, you know, the old Warriors guy who was the number one overall pick. Everyone hated that pick and he got ripped and the, the team got ripped. He always carried that with him like, a, you know, like it was a bad thing. But he wanted to have a very long career. If he was like, you know, the same thing, if he was a 20, 20th pick in the draft, be a much different thing. So it's not the player's fault where they're drafted. I think Cleese worked hard. We talked about last year, worked really hard to gain some weight. I think he's maximizing in his abilities. He's just not a, a quick twitch kind of bendy guy that you want on the edge in today's NFL. But the biggest question mark is what Gus's plans are for him. And I'm actually pretty, I'd say, excited to see uh, what, what they are. I wish I had money on the odds of Joe Smith being referenced in our Raiders post-draft podcast. I'd I'd be quitting this job right now. I'd be I'd be making millions if I had odds on Joe Smith being referenced in our our post draft podcast. That's my Cleveland cop, man, Joe Smith. I mean, are you like, like what came it closer to home? Darius Hayward Bay was the you know a horrible pick where he was picked, but if he was picked in the second round. The guy had like a fourteen year career. I mean, it was a you know, became a team leader, played special teams, was really good at it. So it all depends. You know, it's just um, it stinks when you're a player and you get picked. It's not his fault he got picked. It was eighth overall. I mean, it's not, he didn't ask it for that, but he obviously was rewarded for it. But I just think, again, you can't um, – it's unfair sometimes when people are judged by where they're picked as far as their, their careers and how they play out. And the Raiders still ended up getting Michael Crabtree on the team at a point in time where they were better and ascending and he was a big part of Derek Carr's development, so it worked out perfect, right? They still got Crabtree. It's very clear now that the Raiders like guys that aren't valued or have consensus value in the draft. I know a lot of Raider fans are all always, you know, yelling like, you know, it doesn't matter where they're drafted or, you know, like we don't know how they're they're drafted. But I think after, you know, all these years and a, a few years into the, Gr the Gruden tenure that 
they value players very differently than how most NFL teams value them. And so far, the results have not been very great. But, you know, like you guys said, Farrell's a good player. But if, you know, most teams saw him as a low first round guy. So I think the trend is a little disturbing. But if these guys end up working out next year, then it doesn't matter. But if they end up just being average players or below average players, then this trend is disturbing. I mean, I saw a lot of people complaining and saying that like, oh, if the Ravens had drafted Leatherwood, that you guys would be praising that pick. And I mean, like, there's a reason why the team that drafts a player does color your opinion of that evaluation. I mean, not you know, if the Raiders draft a guy that everybody you know universally has high opinions on, then you, I mean, we're sitting here, we're not knocking the the Trayvon Marig pick because he's he's a Raider. The reason you you knock or criticize a pick that is not kind of in line with some of the consensus is because the Raiders don't have the track record. I mean, when teams build a track record of drafting well and almost every first round pick that they have ends up being a productive player and all that. I mean, yet that is why certain teams, their draft picks, their draft classes are judged a little more highly, you know, because you you do kind of trust a track record when you have one. The Raiders don't have one yet. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm making you dinner and I burn it and the next night, I say, hey, I'm making dinner again. And I can be really fired up for like, not again, really. And so it's just, um, it's all based on the pattern they've had and it hasn't been great in the last few years. And I do agree with Ted as far as if these guys don't play well this year, these two these two starters that you brought in um, this weekend don't play well or, or, or acceptably well this year, then definitely it will come back on, on probably on Mike Mayock. I think definitely the recent lack of success in the draft classes, there'll be a price to pay at some point. And we can't let the Raiders slide for that tweet, putting no matter what the experts say in, in quotation marks or whatever it is. Like, you literally hired a draft expert as your general manager. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Remember, that was the argument. That was part of the argument of the Furl pick is that, like, well, if Mayock had still been working for the NFL Network, then he would have been pumping up Furl and Furl would have been higher on the boards. And, and people probably saying this about Leatherwood. If, 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 we, if everybody had... Mike Mayock's mock draft, you know, then Leatherwood would have been a mid first round pick. So see, that's, that's the thing is them hiring Mayock has just screwed up the consensus draft boards because we don't have one of the best draft minds out there making his board public anymore. Come on. (laughs) That's, that's, that's the deal here, guys. Results. We need to see results. Yeah. Win football games, develop good rookies. And uh, they've developed a few. I mean, they've got some highlights, but uh, I mean, it, it's on them to uh, to make sure this class, at least those first two guys uh, can be productive players. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We'll see what happens as they get them into, uh, you know, whatever kind of mini camps and rookie camps and all that they, they have, who knows with this uh, off season with a lot of players opting not to participate. So um, but we'll see what happens when they're able to get them on the field there in Henderson. All right, guys, I think that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. Wait, we need the Sex, sex is on Fire by Kings of Leon cover by uh, Vic Tafer. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not going to hook up your moms for Mother's Day. That's that's disappointing. But I thought about it. It felt, it felt wrong. It didn't, didn't feel, it didn't feel good to me, so I'm, I'm going to pass. Well, we apologize for getting your hopes up, everybody. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> So sorry I'm not singing Kings of Leon. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think with without vic taking us out with uh with his vocal cords we will uh just go ahead and wrap up this episode of state of the nation we'll be back sometime in this off season we'll see uh kind of when uh things get going with uh 
with other news and, and mini camps and whatnot. But uh, we'll uh, enjoyed following along on the draft. Time to get to get a little bit of shut eye, relax a little bit, and uh, and get ready for the off season. See you guys. All right, talk to you later. Happy Mother's Day. Happy all the moms out there. Have a have a nice weekend.